0: The passage that Andrew is teaching out of today is Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, and this is where Jesus is up on the mountainside and his disciples have gathered around him um, and he is teaching, so these are his words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, This is the reading of God's word.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Camille. So we're in a series, it's actually the last week of the series, called So You've Heard. And what we've done the previous six weeks is look at how Jesus has been teaching us Well, first he was teaching the people right there, these are things that you kind of take for granted that we all assume that we're all going with, and I'm going to tell you something additional to it, or I'm going to tell you how you've been misapplying it, or I'm going to tell you that these are things that aren't even real, aren't even right, aren't even from God, and so he shifts them, he gives it to here's what is true from God's perspective. And as we've looked at those things, looking at things like when he said originally, don't murder, or you know, quoted the commandment, don't murder, he said it's not just about not murdering, don't be angry. We've looked at those same things and said, well, what have we heard? Do what we hear, are the assumptions we have, is what we take in all the time, every day, similar to what Jesus has said in these six areas? Or actually... Often unbeknownst to us, are we in agreement with the opposite side of Jesus? Do we hear constantly, be angry? You should be outraged. Do we hear those kinds of things and not even realize it goes against the first point Jesus makes? It's amazing what Jesus does because he starts with, don't be angry and don't lust, don't have obsessive desire. That can be sexuality or otherwise. If you take away... Anger, contempt, bitterness, you take that out and you take out obsessive desire. Evil doesn't have a lot to stand on. If you're a person that doesn't have either of those things going on, then the other things get easier as we go. And then by the end, he's talking about loving your enemies, doing good no matter what's coming back to you, which is like the height of who God is and what he does. And in just a few paragraphs, he goes from the foundation of evil to the height of who God is and how how we were created to be, and he just does it just like that, because he's brilliant. Now, what Camille just read is actually the four verses right before he gets into those six things. It's the introduction into where he's going to say, you've heard this, but I tell you this. It's the introduction. And so we start with verse 17. In verse 17, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Why does he say that? Well, last summer, we went through Matthew 5, 1 through 16. So we just finished Matthew 5, 21 through 48. That's the the rest of the chapter, Matthew 5. Last summer, we did the first 16 verses of chapter 5. The four verses we're looking at today are right in the middle and kind of hinging part one and part two. So what was Matthew 5, 1 through 16? Well, it gets into the Beatitudes, things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, people are listening to that, and these aren't the leading religious people that are sitting in the front row of all of this. And they're hearing, blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who mourn, the meek, that's not what we've heard. That's not what we've heard. We've heard God blesses those that are righteous. The ones that are blessed are the ones that have everything going their way. But now he's saying, actually, someone like me might do it. In fact, by the end, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth to these people. You are the light of the world. Like us? We're no, there are no Pharisees here. This isn't the teachers of law. Where we haven't ever thought of ourselves that way. He said, "Yes, you are." And they said, "Well, if that's true, maybe we don't have to take the law as seriously. Like these other people that are taking it really seriously. And that kind of eliminates us, because we we got issues, we got problems, we don't do, we've messed up. We've got so we can't possibly be the light of the world unless the law doesn't matter." That could be the the train of thought going, and Jesus, anticipating that, says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, he came to fulfill them, good. But then he goes on, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone, not just him, anyone, Who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. People have got to be like on a roller coaster ride with Jesus. Like, man, the law just sort of disqualifies me because I'm not really good. Like, these, these people are like doing all the law things and I'm not. So, this, this kind of disqualifies me to, like, oh, I'm, Jesus says it's for me too. The kingdom of heaven's available to, to everyone. He says we can enter in. And then he says, but you need the law. In fact, you need to go farther than the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Well, those people were doing like tons of stuff, they would take a law. And they would add rules to it just to make sure they didn't break the law. The biggest example is the Sabbath day. Sabbath day, one of the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall work. On the seventh you shall rest and and, uh, observe it unto the Lord. Make it holy unto the Lord. You focus on the Lord every seven days. Cease from work. Okay. Well, we don't want to break that one. So we're going to start defining work. We're going to write it down. How many steps would be work? You know, how, what, what, how much could you lift? Would that be work? And they had rule after rule after rule. And they kept them. These people, they're on, when it came to, you should tithe, you should give 10% of your income. Okay, well I got spices here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I get to keep those. And then one goes to God. I mean, they were like to the... And Jesus says, you gotta go beyond that. Who can go beyond that? Now, We have questions today about this same thing. I would think, those of us who have been part of the church for a while, like, isn't Jesus against legalism? Wasn't he always fighting the legalists? And yet here he is saying, not one of the smallest little bits of the law. We're not even going to adjust any of it. It's all got to come. That feels pretty legalistic to me. And he's talking about commands, and then, Aren't we saved by grace? Like, we can't earn it. We could never be good enough. And yet he's saying we have to have righteousness, a right way of living that goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. This gets kind of confusing. But what Jesus is saying is that how the law is applied, how we live according to the law, can be different. So ultimately, my question for you today is is the law good is you following the law of God good we could think about word of God we could think about what about the law Jesus is talking about the law here and for the people in the original context there wasn't really a doubt that was the deal we're supposed to follow the law. There's psalms about loving the law, meditating on the law, thinking about the law of God, the commands of God, the statutes of God, thinking about all of that. That's what they heard. So he's sorting it out for them. What does that mean? How does that actually look? What does that look like? But I think for us, that's not what we've heard, a lot of us. Now there are some who've probably grown up in, in a very a legalistic culture. So I'm thinking about things like there were, there were, maybe there still are folks that are like very Sabbath on Sunday. You don't, you go to church twice. You don't, kids don't play. You aren't going to do anything. It's a lot about sitting and being quiet. It's super strict. Certainly you wouldn't mow your lawn or anything like that. But even beyond the Sabbath, like don't go to movies. You don't, you don't dance. You don't drink you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do. I mean that kind of stuff. Like that's just sort of the ethos of what it what it meant. Now, when you think about that, some of those things are like kind of what was going on back then. We don't dance cuz it might lead to breaking the law. So we're going to create extra things so we don't But then it started to just create this whole thing of its own like well, the person that smokes, boo man, and everybody could tell they smoked or not, that would be really bad. But you could be meaner than a junkyard dog as long as he dressed up nice and went to church and didn't smoke. Well, that's just totally missing the point, which is what was happening back then, and what have you there. But I don't think that's what a lot of us are like in right now, that kind of environment. I don't think we're tempted into it. I think what's more tempting now is to say that our righteousness, we wouldn't use that word, but our way of living right, living what's the best the best way to live, is to be true to ourselves, To do what makes us happy. Of course, that would include, you know, we should be a pretty good person, because if you're a pretty good person, then you go to heaven when you die, kind of thing, supposedly. But if that's our guide to righteousness... If our guide to righteousness is like doing what we think is best, living you know, true to ourselves, seeking out what would make us most happy, then we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And by that I mean, we will not be living the way of God. The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants to happen, happens. Where what God says is best is what happens. That's the kingdom where what God says is best reigns. And if I'm going to decide what's best for me, and I'm going to pick and choose out of what Jesus says, you know, so, okay, well, the anger thing, well, it depends who we're talking about, depends what kind of thing, or boundaries around sex, or well, you know, yes, some, of course, especially those kind of people, yes, that, but, you know, living together, divorce, and just pick and choose, commitments, oh, you know, well, I I don't want to miss out, so I'm going to make a commitment, break my commitment. You go through the things he said, and we just pick and choose, okay, this, this, this. But to actually try to live everything that Jesus says, to become the kind of person who naturally does the things that Jesus says, well, I'm not, I mean, the only people that do that are the people that take things a little too seriously. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Except that when Jesus ended this whole thing, here's what he said Be perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we oftentimes will be like, well, nobody's perfect is sort of like part of the mantra. You know, nobody's perfect, we got, God's got grace for all. How does this all fit together? The law of God, as it's talked about in the Bible, gets really confusing. Sometimes it feels like it's a really good thing and it's an important thing and we should do it, and sometimes it feels like, no, it's not helpful. It's powerless to bring about righteousness. What, where, where are we at? And I think I would say this. First, what righteousness does not come from not trying to follow Jesus. If I don't even try to obey Jesus, to do the things he says, If I don't even try, then I'm not going to do it, if I'm not really trying. But when I actually try, I find out I can't do it. So what's really strange is Jesus says all these things, and he says them as if you could do them. He says, don't be angry. Don't lust. Don't manipulate verbally. Don't retaliate personally. Love your enemy. He says these things. I don't think he's saying, I'm like, and I know nobody's really gonna be able to do it. I think he actually is like, no, this would be a good way to live. You should try it. You should do it. And yet when we try it for the last two months, I have been pretty on like, if there's one thing I'm gonna work on, it's I'm not gonna stay angry. I'm gonna recognize when I'm angry and start to step back and say, what if I try to not be angry right now? It is amazing how many times I realize, oh, I haven't done that for a while. Like, I've just been getting angry. It's amazing how many times I'm, it's just like, ugh. I am far from not being angry as a person. But I'm a lot farther along because I've tried, but what I recognize is I just can't do it. So, what is the answer? Well, before I give what I think some of the answer is, there might be a few of you who wondered as I set up today, why did we save the introduction? For the end, why are we doing 17 through 20, which gives the framework for all that Jesus is going to say? These next six things, the six things we are talking about. Why do I save that for the end? And the reason is Pentecost, because I think this is a great Pentecost Sunday, and so when this series. It was going to be right, wrapped around, right around when Pentecost is, and I see this passage, I think, yes. Now, for the few of you that do know about Pentecost, you might think, like, this is the Pentecost Sunday? Like, or Pentecost Scripture? Law and prophets don't you know, set aside even the least of the commandments. commands when Pentecost is about the Spirit? Well, here's, here's what's true. For Christians, for non-Jewish Christians living today, when, when a lot of us think of Pentecost, we rightly think of when the church was born because the Spirit was poured out on people. But Pentecost existed before that day. There was a, one of their holidays. You know, they have Passover. That's one of their holidays. They have Pentecost. It's one of their holidays. It's one of their festivals. It's one of their gatherings. You know what they celebrated at Pentecost? The giving of the law at Mount Sinai. They had a big celebration about Mount Sinai. Now, what happened in Mount Sinai? Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 19. They've just been freed from slavery out of Egypt, they're coming, this huge group of people coming to Mount Sinai. They're going to learn, how, how, who is this one that's just freed us? How's this going to work? And he says, out of the whole earth is mine, but you're my treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests to me. You're a holy nation to me. You are special. You're going to show the rest of the world what I'm like. And here's how this is going to work out. Verse 14, after Moses had gone down, I'm going to read fast because there's a few scriptures I want to go through today. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp was trembling. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, a mountain is on fire. Trembling, shaking, voice of God. Wow. Okay. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, go down. Poor Moses, he was like on an elevator. He was going up. Anyway, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And then God said to Moses, go down. So he went down and then he got people and he went back up. Anyway, and then God said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. And he gave what we call the Ten Commandments. And what was happening there is there was an agreement taking place. God was saying, I will be be your God and you will be my people. And here's the agreement. It is like a contract with a king and his people. It's also like a marriage because it's because I love you. I am choosing you. And if you want to be loyal to me and love me, here is the law. Here are your commands. And he gives the Ten Commandments, and then he also gives other things about how they're to worship and how they're to govern and how they're to eat. All of that. The law. That's what they celebrated at Pentecost. Now, the reality is the law of God The eternal law of God for humanity existed before then. We all need the law. From Adam and Eve, there was a law. Here you go. See all these trees here, Adam and Eve? Eat freely, eat it up. You can take care of the garden, you can have purpose in life, you can do things with the animals, you're in, you're in charge of stuff, and you can enjoy all these things. That's part of the law. that's part of how you should live. And there's this one tree the, the knowledge <coughs> get choked up, but it's not emotional. Uh, there's this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. don't eat from that one. That's the law. You see, the law is, as a human being, I need someone. Above me, outside of me, to tell me what's best for me. I need to listen to the voice of the one above me. I need to know the ways, get the guidance from, have the wisdom of God. I need it from outside of me. And the tree of knowledge and good and evil is no, I don't. I'll do it, I'll figure it out. I can know what's best. So, do we trust God to follow his law, which is just his wisdom, his voice? There it was. Now, when it gets to Mount Sinai, now it's like that law, the law of the old covenant, the law that came from Moses, that's like a magnifying glass. Because that's saying, well, here are some ways that you know are good, but we're going to make it so you can see it even clearer. You could see it even in more detail of how you should live. But unfortunately, that magnifying glass didn't just help them see it more clearly. It also showed how, how much they weren't doing it. Over the course of years, it just showed they weren't doing it. And so having failed a bunch of times, we get to what the prophets say, hey, there's something more to come. Reading quickly, gotta find it. Okay, Jeremiah. So here's one of the prophets. Now I'm gonna talk about Jeremiah and Ezekiel. These are two of the big prophets. You look at the Bible, these are two of the longest books in the whole Bible. Here's what Jeremiah says, chapter 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Remember, Mount Sinai was like a marriage contract. We are marrying you as our God. He is marrying them as a a people. And he keeps the covenant even when they keep breaking it. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write my law on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their weakness and remember their sins no more. Now, that's Jeremiah. Ezekiel says this: "I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will this is the Lord talking. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. By the way, going back to that Matthew passage. Here's what, where Jesus was getting at. Jesus was getting at the law in the sense of, do you have the right, right rules down? That is just getting like, well, can I check off a list? How can I find a way to get around or twist this law in my favor? That's not getting at the spirit of the law. That's just a bunch of rules. That's a bunch of external. That separate from God is just empty. So what Jesus is saying is, to fulfill the law, you need to have a new kind of heart. The goal is not, did I do all the right things? The goal is, do I have the kind of heart? Do I come, become the kind of person that does the things that Jesus would do? That's able to hear the voice, hear the guidance, hear the wisdom of God and say what's best and then do it. That's the law. Now, back to this, but how do I do it? 27, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now, with that in mind, there is a promise. We had the law, we had all the rules, we had all the regulations, we had it from Moses, and it was good. It was God's voice to the people, God's guidance to the people, God's wisdom to the people. Now, would they hear it and do it? They didn't. Most of the time, they didn't. But there's a promise, there is a new covenant, a new agreement coming, and it's going to be written on your hearts, and you're going to be able to have help from the Spirit, and so then when we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through through 4, there we are on Pentecost Sunday passage, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, the day when they celebrated the festival of the law, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And one of the things that happened then is that people that didn't know Jesus came to know Jesus because people have the Spirit enabling them to talk about Jesus, do the things of Jesus, and follow the law. Not every detail, not the... Okay, do do we look good to other people? But to be like Jesus, to have the heart of Jesus. One last passage. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13. And I'm going to say a couple things before I read through it, because I'll read fast again. One is, they they talk about flesh versus spirit. That makes it seem like material versus non-material, but that's not what it's getting at. It's like, what's the driving force in a person? So instead of flesh, I'm going to use sinful nature. The sinful nature versus being driven by the Spirit of God. Okay? And when this talks about the law, it's giving it just the letter of the law. Not the law, not the sense of, so we follow God and what he says. So, you'll understand it, maybe, as I read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You're not to do that. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the simple nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit, the natural outcomes of a person who is following the spirit, Listening to the voice of God and doing it is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no legalistic law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Jesus, when he's all done teaching, I mean, we're just going through chapter 5, we're going to do a, kind of a part 2 of the Sermon on the Mount starting next week What's called What's to Come. When he gets done teaching, he says, if anyone puts these words of mine into practice, which would be the same thing as if anyone follows the law of God, the spirit of the law of God, They're smart. They're wise. Whoever doesn't put these words of mine into practice, they're stupid. That's what he says. It's stupid. It's like the kind of person that builds a house without a strong foundation so that when hard things come, the house doesn't stand. Now, in our world, are we putting into practice what Jesus says? Don't be angry. If we did that, we weren't angry, we didn't stay angry, we didn't dehumanize people with contempt, we didn't live based on obsessive desire, and we moved all the way into, we even did good to people who wished us ill, how many less shootings would there be? How much better would our government work? What would be happening in our schools? So to say, well, nobody's perfect. As sort of a reason that we don't actually have to follow Jesus, I just don't think that works. I don't think that works for society. And I don't think that works for an individual life. But the good news is that Jesus came and he lived according to the law. He only did what he saw his father in heaven doing. He always obeyed the voice of God as God himself, but as a human being. He always did those things. He lived exactly as a human being should. And then he said, I will take on sin. I will take on death. I will take on shame. I will take all of these things, and they will get punished. We are going to nail sin here. We are, I'm taking it on to me, and then sin goes here. Shame goes here. Death goes here. It gets punished right here. And instead, for anyone who will come to me, for anyone who will call on my name, you get the spirit. You get an ability to help you live the law, live like human beings were created to, which is to look to someone outside of us and to follow through. Best we can, but with help from God. So on Pentecost Sunday, they celebrated a mountain was on fire, a mountain was on fire, and they got to stay at the very foot of that mountain. They got to stay down here and listen to God and have people tell them this is what God says you should do, but on Pentecost Sunday in the book of Acts, people were on fire with the fire of God, burning out all the stuff that's not, how human, that's not good for human beings. There was loud noise to so the people who were in the streets like, what's going on over there? And they came and they found out, and some people rejected, even as they rejected Jesus, but many people, 2,000 people said, what do we do? We want that. And Peter said, repent, turn for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who will call on the name of the Lord God the name of Lord Jesus, now, today, what is your response to the good news of Pentecost? Do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Do you want to say, help me, I actually want to live like you're telling me I should live in every area of life. I actually want it all the way. I need help. Set me on fire, blow wind in me. I don't know what those things even mean. Help me. I need the help of God, and he will help. Worship team can come up. Pentecost Sunday. Most of us don't have big meals planned for afterwards. Not a lot of decorations up. It's just God. It's just God. Jesus made a way that in following him, we can have the spirit of God. So for whoever wants it, would you call on his name today? And would you tell him that you intend to follow him? Every area, His law is a good thing. It is not burdensome. It is life. For all who want it, for all who call on the name of Jesus. So now we just leave the rest of the service space. You and God. If these songs help you pray, if these songs help you worship, go for it. This is a time, you and God. And you can make of it what you will.